Are you a fan of wine but hate the high sugar content in most wines? Then allow me to introduce you to Dry Farm Wines. Visit their website dryfarmwines.com and you'll find a keto-friendly, sugar-free, carb-free, all-natural, organic, and additive-free wine. It's also low alcohol for good health and it has no negative impact on your ketone levels. Again, they're called Dry Farm Wines. Check them out, dryfarmwines.com. Have you tried the Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme yet? It replenishes minerals, B vitamins, and electrolytes that are lost daily through sweat, urination, occasional diarrhea, and exercise. A Live in La Vida low-carb show listener named Tricia writes, I listened to your podcast on the iPhone app and have enjoyed your sponsor Jigsaw Health, where you talked about the electrolytes Lemon Lime for $10 off with coupon code LLVLC. My feet and legs cramp up often, even though LC CHF two and a half years, and then keto half year after that for three years total eating well. I wondered if the electrolytes would help, so I used your coupon code. First night of drinking the mixture all day, no cramps, slept well, and every night since. Just reordered the three-pack this time, saving more money and using your code once again. Thank you, it really tastes good and works great. I use twice the amount of water they suggest, or it's too sweet for me, so I put a scoop in 16 ounces or half a scoop in eight ounces instead of one in eight. So join Trisha, get Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme, head on over to lowcarbelectrolytes.com and definitely use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to save $10 off of your order. Again, it's called Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme. Coming up in episode 1190, Dr. Susan Messino. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author. You're like the LL Cool J of podcast. Jimmy Moore. Today's featured audio is from the 2016 On Nutritional Ketosis and Metabolic Therapeutics Conference that took place in Tampa, Florida earlier this year. Sign up now at metabolictherapeuticsconference.com for next year's Tampa event coming February 1st through the 4th 2017. Well, thank you, Dom, very much for inviting me. Um, I'm really honored to be here at this first um, annual, I can't quite see my slides, um, first annual conference on nutritional ketosis and metabolic therapeutics. Um, I actually was also at the first conference on ketogenic diet in 2008. Um, I had been working on these ideas in my own little basic science world for a few years. before kind of discovering this whole field. I didn't even know there was such a thing as ketogenic diet. I was using the keyword ketone-based metabolism. So I come very much from a um, basic science um, perspective and um, I really feel like we're entering a new era where um, it's easier now to get funding and I can say that because I've been trying to get funding for this stuff since 2005. Um, And I think that as long as we kind of stick together 
do good science and really try and move the field forward. The future is extremely bright for metabolic therapies. Okay, so today I've sort of divided my talk into three simple sections. Um, my research for many years, about 20 years now, has been on adenosine. Um, so I'm going to share with you what is adenosine, how is it related to the ketogenic diet, and possibly to analogous metabolic strategies, and what are the implications of um, this hypothesis and this work. Uh, so first, um, just to get everyone on the same page, caffeine is an adenosine receptor antagonist. And uh, many of you might have ingested caffeine this morning. Um, caffeine is the most widely used psychoactive drug worldwide. Its antagonism of adenosine receptors are res is responsible for the psychoactive effects of caffeine and also for the locomotor effects of caffeine. So this kind of gives you evidence that there is some kind of neurological effects of caffeine. In addition, in addition to being a neuromodulator, adenosine is also related to cell energy. So our cell energy molecule, ATP, can be successively dephosphorylated into ADP, AMP, and ultimately adenosine. So essentially what you can see is that um, adenosine is really linking cell energy to um, neuromodulation and as well as other biochemical processes. Now one other word about caffeine is, <clears throat> it's interesting is there always seems to be good news about caffeine. Um, caffeine seems to be protective against several neurodegenerative disorders, Parkinson's um, is one good example. Um, it may prevent or delay the onset of diabetes. And recently a paper came out saying that caffeine is able to um, show some prevention in what's called all-cause mortality. So there always seems to be kind of good news about caffeine. The only bad news I've seen is high caffeine levels early in pregnancy may increase the risk of um, miscarriage. So one point to take away from that is if we do develop strategies that target these mechanisms, they have a very good chance of being perhaps effective and also safe because of the long epidemiological history of targeting this kind of um, pathway. So um, I'm going to take you back to the Big Bang, only semi-kidding. Um, and the adenosine is an um, evolutionarily very old molecule. It's present throughout the body. And it was one of the prebiotic um, molecules in sort of the primordial soup. So it's been around for a long time, and this was really my initial interest in adenosine in that um, I was a very basic scientist. I was interested in learning and memory and plasticity and sensory processing, and I was wondering how are these processes influenced by daily um, environmental effects or metabolic effects or kind of non-pathological, slightly stressful changes in the environment that are similar to changes that would have been in the primordial soup, like changes in temperature, changes in pH, et cetera. So this is really my basic science perspective that I started with. And I wanted to see how those forces impacted brain activity and possibly um, brain adaptability, which is really the hallmark of our big brain. So our brain is adaptable and dynamic, which is very exciting, but it also must maintain homeostasis. So there needs to be a very um, delicate balance between this adaptability and maintaining the integrity of brain function. And I was delighted yesterday when Dave Diamond mentioned Claude Bernard um, for his 
kind of planting the seed that uh, glucose is related to obesity, what I associate Claude Bernard with is being sort of the father of the concept of homeostasis. So um, that was a nice unexpected um, link with the keynote to start off this conference. Oops. Um, ultimately, so I shared with you I'm not um, coming from really uh, originally a clinical perspective um, or any kind of real disease perspective. My real passion is in brain health. I can't really say that yet when I send grants to NIH. Um, but I really believe that if we can improve brain health, improve brain homeostasis, we can delay, prevent, or perhaps modify um, any host of different disorders. Okay, so what is adenosine? Um, I'll start a little bit with what is ATP, and just to share with you again, ATP is adenosine with these three phosphate groups tacked onto it um, that are used for cell energy. Adenosine itself is um, an adenine and a ribose, so an adenine and a ribose, and um, this simple structure you can see some of the features um, recapitulated here in the caffeine molecule, which is what enable it's, enables it to bind at adenosine receptors. So that's kind of the structure of adenosine. It's highly water-soluble, and it's rapidly metabolized in the blood, and it's present within your cells and also throughout the extracellular space. Oops. Um, it's actually uh, available in all operating rooms in small vials, and adenosine can be used in the operating room as an IV bolus if someone um, experiences a severe heart arrhythmia or uh, I think tachycardia. Um, and what will happen is adenosine receptors that are present in the brain are also present in the heart. Um, and while it can modulate brain function, it's also powerful enough to stop your heart. And what they can do with adenosine in the OR is give this IV bolus of adenosine. It will essentially stop your heart quickly, um, but for a very short amount of time, and has um, an ability to sort of have the heart reset to a more normal rhythm once it starts back up. So um, we've seen that adenosine links metabolism and neuronal function. And what I'd like to share with you today are what are its immediate and potentially long-term effects, and what are the implications of that. So a little bit more about adenosine and what is, whoops, this clicker is a little bit touchy, is um, that it's been known for a long time, as I said, to be a neuromodulator and regulate brain activity. Um, it's there all the time and the ability of caffeine to modulate your brain activity is because of the endogenous presence of adenosine. It acts through a number of um, receptor subtypes. They're all G-protein coupled receptors. It's not a classical neurotransmitter. It's not, um, doesn't have the, all the hallmarks of a classical neurotransmitter, but it does essentially act as a, um, like a transmitter in terms of targeting receptors at the synapse. And one of the important things I think about adenosine is it's kind of capable of enhancing what I will call the signal to noise ratio in the brain. So if you increase your level of adenosine, you're sort of decreasing the overall level of activity and the strongest signals are able to get through. So this is one of my initial interests in adenosine because if you're interested in learning in memory or sensory processing, you need to be able to kind of um, establish an effective signal to noise ratio to be able to process and save the most important information. 
is historically been known to be a very powerful neuroprotector. Because of its ability to block brain activity, it can reduce excitotoxicity, which can happen under conditions of severe cell stress, such as hypoxia, seizures, etc. So the presence of adenosine limits the amount of brain damage that would otherwise occur under these um, conditions of severe excitability or metabolic stress. And that is kind of what adenosine was most known for, and there was a lot of drug development efforts targeting um, adenosine to try and enhance its neuroprotective um, capacity. Um, however, those efforts were always limited by the cardiac side effects. So um, it's also known to be regulated during a number of behavioral and physiological conditions. And it has a lot of potential as a sleep promoter. Adenosine levels go up at night and they actively promote sleep. Um, it has a potential to relieve pain, which is another clinical um, indication for adenosine. It's a very powerful seizure reducer. So it's able to stop any type of seizure, pharmacoresistant seizures, etc. Um, and what we're starting to appreciate is that in addition to these um, different effects, which are more um, kind of dynamic effects of adenosine, um, we believe that it also has the ability to promote and in fact potentially restore um, cell homeostasis, possibly through epigenetic changes. So the work in my lab has focused for the past 10, 11 years on epilepsy, autism, and pain, sometimes involving the ketogenic diet, sometimes not. Today I'm going to focus on my work on um, adenosine and epilepsy, um, and I could list a whole bunch of other disorders that I think that this could have relevance to that was on the list that um, Dr. Rose showed that was in Eric's review. And um, as I mentioned previously with the epidemiological with caffeine, I really believe that this type of homeostatic approach um, could be effective with the potential for few side effects. Okay, so how is adenosine related to a ketogenic diet? I came to this um, hypothesis through my work on studying how could adenosine be regulated in the brain. So with the problem of the peripheral side effects, um, we needed a way to deal with adenosine in the brain um, without stopping the heart. And at the time that I started my work on adenosine, there was a lot of evidence that adenosine was increased during these pathological conditions. Um, with my interest in um, dynamic changes in the brain, I felt like, well, it can't be around all the time just in case you have a stroke. Hopefully that will never happen. So what is going on and what other factors uh, regulate adenosine? And um, this is some work that I did and some work that others did. We found that non-pathological conditions, including changes in temperature, some uh, changes in electrical activity that might not necessarily be a seizure, but um, long-term potentiation, for example, um, receptor activation, uh, circadian changes, as I said, it promotes sleep. So there are a number of other conditions that would regulate adenosine. And what were the uh, substrates for a change in adenosine under these non-pathological conditions? So I tried to look at that. Was it just uh, degradation of ATP? Was it increased release of ATP from the astrocytes, which have turned out to be a very important player in adenosine um, regulation, or perhaps direct um, change in the regulation of adenosine through the enzyme that phosphorylates adenosine and very powerfully controls adenosine levels, um, adenosine kinase? And through all of this work, I came up with a hypothesis um, oh, sorry, this role of pathological role of adenosine is, has earned and adenosine the name 
of a retaliatory metabolite. So under conditions of stress, adenosine is released and that limits the potential uh, pathological effects of that stress. Under these non-pathological conditions, one common denominator that I considered through my work to regulate adenosine was potentially, whoops, pH. Um, so this is a basic hypothesis I had a long time ago. And through my hypothesis about adenosine and pH, this is what led me to a hypothesis about ketone-based metabolism and adenosine. At that, that time, I didn't know that there was anything known as a ketogenic diet. I didn't know it was used for epilepsy. So you can imagine how excited I was when I found that out because ketogenic diet, like adenosine, can also treat refractory seizures. And there was a number of other um, kind of correlative pieces of evidence in the literature um, predictions that I made, if this hypothesis was true, then X, um, which all were borne out by searching literature. So it was very, very exciting. And for those of you who are interested in kind of this data space about adenosine, um, ketogenic diet, brain health, um, just to let you know, there's a couple of other things that actually increase adenosine as well. So exercise can increase adenosine, and um, there's also some evidence for acupuncture as two other kind of non-pharmacological um, approaches. So this was sort of my um, working hypothesis um, relating the ketogenic diet to adenosine is that under normal diet conditions, you have the tripartite synapse, which includes the astrocytic process, the presynaptic terminal, and the postsynaptic terminal. And the way that adenosine interacts with this um, synaptic space is that um, ATP is released primarily from astrocytes and it's rapidly dephosphorylated in the extracellular space into adenosine. And then adenosine can target both presynaptic and postsynaptic receptors. And the receptor that I've been focused on is the adenosine A1 receptor. It's one of the high affinity receptors. It's highly concentrated in the hippocampus and the cortex, two seizure-prone areas. And <clears throat> with this activation of adenosine A1 receptors, presynaptically, it can serve to decrease transmitter release. So that helps if you have too much excitatory transmission, you decrease the amount of glutamate released, um, that limits that. It also helps postsynaptically by opening potassium channels and hyperpolarizing the cells. And Zhang mentioned previously the KATP channel, which I'm also gonna mention briefly today. Um, but at that time, the A1 receptor in the brain was thought to be linked um, in the hippocampus and cortex to uh, G-protein coupled inwardly rectifying potassium channels. So there's a number of different types of potassium channels. Um, so what I hypothesized during the ketogenic diet, there was evidence in the literature that the ketogenic diet would actually increase ATP levels. And I thought, well, potentially, um, ketone-based metabolism decreases pH. Perhaps that is increasing the level of adenosine. Um, perhaps, because once I found out that the ketogenic diet increases ATP levels, perhaps there's more ATP, which provides a substrate for increased levels of adenosine and sort of increases this whole mechanism and in enhances the ability for the cells to resist um, a, a excitotoxic event and kind of enhances the signal-to-noise ratio of the whole system. So this was sort of my working hypothesis about adenosine and ATP, and whoops, what we've since integrated into this hypothesis about adenosine in the ketogenic diet is that adenosine's role is not just limited to neuromodulation, it also plays a biochemical role in the cells, and specifically um, adenosine can influence 
DNA, module, DNA methylation. So adenosine can decrease DNA methylation, and that would provide the substrate for long-term changes in cell function and potentially disease-modifying effects. So adenosine can both provide a link between metabolism and neuronal activity. It can provide rapid dynamic modulation of neuronal activity and also can cause long-term changes in brain function and, I believe, long-term changes in brain health. So after um, unsuccessfully trying to get grants for this hypothesis for several years, I partnered with Jonathan Geiger, who's a purine um, metabolism uh, researcher at University of North Dakota. And we published this hypothesis together. Um, are purines, which adenosine and ATP are both purines, mediators of the anticonvulsant or neuroprotective effects of the ketogenic diet? So. This was a very exciting time. I was writing grants like crazy. I felt like, from coming from a basic science perspective, having no clinical background whatsoever, I was very interested in like nuts and bolts things. But then I thought, wow, this is the most exciting thing I've ever worked on. They are gonna just fund this like nobody's business. Well, let me just tell you, that was not what happened. Um, but it has gotten significantly better, and it's been through sheer, um, you know, really persistence, different study sections, different approaches, et cetera. So um, I think it's gotten better, but you still need to bring your best game to the table to get any funding for any work. And there's still, it used to be about three out of three bad reviews on my grants. Now sometimes it's maybe one out of three that's very skeptical still of diets or metabolic approaches. So I think it's, you know, the tide is definitely turning. Um, so when I tried to test this hypothesis, um, at that time, I had a knockout mouse, the adenosine A1 receptor knockout mouse, which I thought would be a perfect mouse to check this hypothesis. And it was very difficult to get the ketogenic diet to work in acute mouse models of epilepsy. So I decided to backtrack and go for an in vitro approach. And at that time, there was a um, much more simple, I didn't want to torture you with a really complicated metabolic slide, but um, there was a simplified version that um, Zhang Rowe and Chris Bao published saying what's really translating between the um, hallmark metabolic effects of the ketogenic diet and its anticonvulsant action because somehow we have to explain this link between metabolism and neuronal activity. So at that time what I focused on was um, I knew that the ketogenic diet would enhance ATP and I focused on the glucose um, because of some um, clinical evidence that ketones don't always correlate with seizure control and from some research evidence including some work by Tom Seyfried that plasma glucose correlated quite well with um, seizures. So we did an in vitro approach and this was my first real kind of test of this hypothesis. It wasn't in vivo, it was in vitro where we um, used reduced glucose and we maintained or increased the amount of ATP in our cells, and in our protocol, what we did is we did whole cell recordings from individual cells in the CA3 region of the hippocampus, which is a highly seizure-prone region. Um, and what we did is we just manipulated the level of glucose and the level of in the extracellular fluid, maintained everything else the same, and we manipulated the level of ATP in our pipette that was patched onto the cell. So these are the different levels that we used, generally, cell slice physiologists use a glucose level of 11 millimolar, which is actually much higher than a physiological level. Um, I think that's been uh, established due to issues with tissue penetration or better survivability, or maybe even enhanced excitability is now my hypothesis. Um, you're getting better responses. Um, 
But that level is not um, what is found in vivo. So we manipulated these, um, just these two variables, and when we did that, we found um, a number of things that happened. And I'm just gonna um, point out some highlights about that. We found a change in membrane potential, we found a change in input resistance, and we found a change in the holding current of the cells, and all of the changes we found were consistent with an increase in adenosine. So this was very exciting. Now that we'd done this kind of um, metabolic manipulation, we found all these changes consistent with adenosine. We did a whole series of pharmacological experiments. This data is all published, so I'm not gonna go through all of the data for you um, in the interest of time. But what we found is under these conditions that when we had either sufficient or increased ATP inside the cell, um, which is consistent with the ketogenic diet, and we had reduced glucose, it was still a physiological level, outside the cell, which is consistent with the ketogenic diet, we found that there would be some release of ATP into the extracellular space. The level of ATP in the cell compared to the level of adenosine is extremely high, maybe 10,000 to one. And with this release of a little bit of ATP from the inside of the cell, it was rapidly converted in the extracellular space to adenosine, targeted the adenosine A1 receptor, and under these conditions, they coupled to the KATP channel, which hadn't been seen before. So this was a very um, exciting finding, where essentially the cells are able to regulate their own inputs um, and shows kind of a homeostatic autocrine regulation of their own neuronal activity. Wouldn't you love to find a nut that is low in carbs, high in fat, and perfect as a healthy ketogenic snack? Well, look no further than Peely Nuts. That's spelled P-I-L-I. -I. Go to eatpeelynuts.com and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 10% off of your order of these one-of-a-kind keto nuts. Peely Nuts are higher in fat than any other nut out there with a whopping 23 grams of total fat, and they have the fewest carbohydrates at just one one gram per one ounce serving. Plus, these delicious nuts are loaded with a full array of vitamins and micronutrients, including vitamin E, magnesium, potassium, manganese, calcium, phosphorus, and more because of the mineral-rich volcanic soil that they're harvested from in the Philippines. If you've never tasted a Peely Nut, you'll be pleased to know that it's got a soft bite and a buttery flavor unlike any other nut you've ever put in your mouth. EatPeelyNuts.com is the original company to bring sprouted Peely Nuts to the United States and are also the first to offer them sprouted in coconut oil for added healthy saturated fats. I absolutely love Peely Nuts and I think you will too. Try them for yourself by visiting eatpeelynuts.com and don't forget to use my special coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 10% off of your order. Give them a taste and you'll see there's no better nut than a Peely Nut. Real food is something the keto community can rally behind and support as we shift away from the sugary, grainy, starchy, food-like disease agents sold in grocery stores and more towards high-quality food that nourishes our bodies. That's why I love ButcherBox. Visit ButcherBox.com Jimmy and you'll get an exclusive deal on 100% grass-fed beef, organic chicken, and heritage breed pork delivered right to your door for $6.50 
once a meal. That includes free shipping and $10 off your order, plus a free smoked bratwurst. Butcher Box has a commitment to supplying only the very finest cuts of grass-fed and pastured meats you can find anywhere. The best and most convenient part for our busy lifestyles is they ship your box to wherever you are so you can fire up the grill and enjoy food you can believe in again. Again, it's Butcher Box. Visit butcherbox.com slash Jimmy for this exclusive deal for my listeners. So once we found this, we wanted to test this more in vivo. And um, if you could press the, um, the video. So we, uh-oh. Oh, no, it's showing on the screen over there. Well, I can just describe it. In the interest of time, I won't get held up by that. Um, if you're on this side of the room, you can see it on the screen. It's basically my students running around with a big thing of lard, and we feed the diet um, ad libitum. Um, so that's one difference between what Tom was talking about this morning. We house our animals socially, which I think is less stressful for them than um, housing them sing in single metabolic cages. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have my own animal satellite vivarium in my laboratory, so it's a very kind of quiet, low hustle bustle kind of environment for them. But anyway, I wanted to let you know I do feed them an unrestricted ketogenic diet, and I do house them socially, and we change the food every day, and those are my students packaging it all up so we can do all of our daily feeding. And then if you could press this one, which might not work either, then you will see that my cute mouse friend, he loves it. Um, so this is a little, we um, freeze it and then we put it in there and they check it out and they um, eat this diet with their friends and they're super happy. And um, so we did a number of in vivo experiments feeding the ketogenic diet. So to test the adenosine hypothesis, we fed rats this time, normal rats, not epileptic, ketogenic diet for two and a half weeks. And then we made slices from these animals. Um, because in the slice preparation, I could access all the physiology and pharmacology that I just talked to you about. And what we found is that when we took slices from animals that had been fed the ketogenic diet, and we maintained those slices under conditions of reduced glucose, three millimolar, which we had shown in my previous metabolic in vitro mimic of a ketogenic diet study, we found that we got reduced excitability both under normal conditions which is shown here with this kind of stimulus response input output ratio where the ketogenic diet has a lower um, response to a given stimulus intensity than the uh, control diet and also under a seizure-like condition. So we put a drug on called bicuculine which causes this kind of normal re electrophysiological recording to go into this seizure-like state and what you can see is that there was a less um, lower amplitude and lower area um, overall of the seizure-like state with the ketogenic diet. And what we found in a subsequent series of experiments is the entire mechanism I showed you in the last slide where we got the, um, the uh, role of the adenosine A1 receptor, the panexins, and the KATP channels were all completely recapitulated in the slices that were fed the ketogenic diet in vivo and then tested with the slices in vitro. The critical thing though is you have to maintain the slices in the low glucose environment. And I think that this is really, you know, a potential model for how to study the ketogenic diet is you can't, um, you know, people have different ideas. Maybe we should put on ketones. Maybe we should put on a combination of ketones and glucose, etc. 
Um, but I think this is a uh, fruitful model to study um, mechanisms related to the diet. So then um, we wanted to look at animals with seizures. And uh, so we decided to regroup with the adenosine A1 receptor knockout mouse and use a combination of mice with different adenosine system mutations to study the effects of the ketogenic diet. So the adenosine receptor knockout mouse um, was developed in the Karolinska and um, was characterized electrophysiologically in the laboratory of my postdoc, Tom Dunwitty, when I was there in Colorado. Um, and we also characterized the heterozygote mouse, which has 50% of the normal level of adenosine receptors. So this mouse, if you test their slices um, and stain for receptors, they have either no receptors or reduced receptors in the heterozygote. They have absolutely no response to adenosine or reduced response in the heterozygote. And as you might suspect, they have increased susceptibilities to seizures, traumatic brain injury, et cetera. And in fact, we didn't know this when we were studying this mouse in Colorado, but um, my colleague Detlev Bozon subsequently found out that these mice have spontaneous seizures in their brain, even though there's no behavioral evidence of it. So if you implant an intrahippocampal electrode, you find that these mice have regular spontaneous seizures. And as you might expect, the seizures are more frequent in the knockout mouse than the heterozygote. So here we have two mice, one with no receptors, one with some receptors, as a possible system to study the ketogenic diet's effect via the adenosine A1 receptor. Now Detlev's group also, whoops, so our prediction would be that the ketogenic diet would have no effect in the knockout and potentially a partial effect in the heterozygote. Detlev had developed um, another mouse with a manipulated adenosine system, an adenosine kinase transgenic mouse. So as I mentioned earlier, adenosine kinase is a very potent regulator of adenosine, and the more adenosine kinase you have, the less adenosine you have. So once you have um, increased adenosine kinase, he developed this mouse, so they had essentially the same level of spontaneous seizures as the A1 knockout mouse. However, these mice have intact adenosine receptors. So our prediction with this mouse is that the ketogenic diet will reduce their seizures because the receptors are intact. Um, in the interest of time, I didn't go through all that data, although I love to because it was so exciting to make a prediction and then have your experiments actually work perfectly. Um, so I'll just highlight a couple of points on this table is that in the wild type mouse, which had a normal adenosine receptor expression, um, we predicted no change because there were no seizures. And in fact, we saw no change in any conditions, whether we um, added the ketogenic diet or whether we injected glucose, which is what we did to reverse the effects of the diet. In the transgenic adenosine kinase mice with intact adenosine receptors, we expected a robust suppression of seizures. We saw an 88% decrease, and that was reversed um, essentially completely with an injection of glucose. And I'll just highlight the adenosine A1 receptor knockout mouse. We expected that the seizures would not be suppressed by the diet, and in fact, they were not changed at all. 4% decrease, which was non-significant, and glucose had no significant effect. So this is a really um, satisfying demonstration in an in vivo model um, with a very clear transgenic manipulation of adenosine that the ketogenic diet didn't work under those conditions and also provided additional evidence where we are using the ketogenic diet for a homeostatic regulation and normal activity is unaltered. Um, 
as food for thought, um, the journal did this really cool um, hamburger made out of an EEG trace. Um, and Dave Ruskin in my lab fit a real hamburger to it. But then we said, well, you know, if they really wanted to make the point on this, they would have they made the hamburger without the bun to make a ketogenic diet. But, um, you know, anyway, still a cool picture. So um, the last main thing that I want to talk about today is can the ketogenic diet prevent epileptogenesis and does adenosine play a role? And um, is someone, oh, you haven't given me the sign yet. Okay, I'm just checking. Uh, <laughs> um, so um, Zhang Ro mentioned some of these experiments um, this morning and I just want to add a couple of additional tidbits to that. So. Um, the reason why I think this is so important is because we really need therapies that um, have kind of a broad approach and can impact the multiple aspects of neural, metabolic, and immune function and restore homeostasis. So he talked about autism as an example where it's a multifactorial problem and um, we need solutions that are going to really promote a multifactorial um, restoration of health. So for these experiments, um, is there any disease-modifying effect of the ketogenic diet? Can it promote or restore homeostasis? Um, we look to an um, epigenetic um, opportunity where epigenetics are um, acquired changes in the genome. And two examples are DNA methylation and histone methylation or acetylation. And adenosine is a biochemical regulator of DNA methylation. And Detlev's published a very nice paper recently on adenosine and epigenetics and epilepsy. So here was the potential for adenosine to exert long-term effects on cell function. And clinically, it had been shown that the ketogenic diet perhaps could also exert long-term effects. Um, so what we wanted to do is to see, could we test this in animal models? Would the ketogenic diet prevent epileptogenesis? And was adenosine at all playing a role in this disease modification? So we did two models of epileptogenesis, pentylene tetrazole kindling and pilocarpine. Um, we used adult mice in the PTZ model and rats in the pilocarpine model. We gave control or ketogenic diet prior to the epileptogenic trigger, and we gave the ketogenic diet for eight weeks prior to the um, epileptogenic trigger. Now I know this is not necessarily akin to the clinical condition. You don't necessarily know if you're going to get epilepsy eight weeks from now, um, but this is kind of our initial um, proof of concept for this hypothesis. Um, as Zhang mentioned, we tested if there were lasting effects in the absence of the diet. So to show that there was some modification of disease that didn't require the ongoing presence of the diet. Um, all of our treatments right now are symptomatic treatments. They're not really modifying the disease. So this is a very important test of the effects of the ketogenic diet. We compared the effects of the ketogenic diet with valproate, a um, standard anti-epileptic drug. And we also measured changes in adenosine and in DNA methylation to see if those correlated with any of the functional changes that we saw. So to briefly go over this, um, this is the same slide that Zhang showed earlier. We had one uh, kindling, kindling progression in our control diet group. We had two ketogenic diet groups. And here you can see our timeline where we gave the diet for eight weeks. We did the PTZ kindling every two or three days for 29 days, and then we either um, continued the diet 
um, or we reversed the diet to the control diet in one of the ketogenic diet groups, and then we did an additional um, challenge with the PTZ. So in these experiments, um, what we found, as Zhang mentioned, is in the ketogenic diet group, the changes were maintained even after the diet was washed out. Um, that effect was not seen with Valpro-8, so as soon as the Valpro-8 was removed, the kindling um, was, level was um, higher again. And um, it also did not work if we just did um, an acute PTZ challenge after eight weeks on the diet. So it required this sort of progressive kindling um, after a longer administration of the diet um, to uh, provide this difference between the diet and the ketogenic diet and the control diet, and also this prolonged um, reduction of seizure threshold, um, sorry, increase in seizure threshold after the diet was removed. Okay, two other points about this data is that it seems that the acute um, effects of the diet, so while the diet is there, um, adenosine levels were higher. So we tested that while we were still administering the diet. Adenosine levels, however, were not elevated after the diet was washed out. So adenosine itself was not present at the washout time point. However, changes in DNA methylation were. So what we think is happening is there's this kind of twofold um, aspect of how adenosine can work, both in terms of the di dynamic modulation and also in terms of long-term effects in gene expression. So um, another um, exciting project, um, which may, who knows, be a, um, uh, what was the quote yesterday? The, um, a beautiful hypothesis can be ruined by an ugly fact. So I'm prepared to accept that could happen. Um, and the um, data set that I have to um, really look at this hypothesis more um, carefully is obtained from Dr. Maria Dahlin and, Dahlin and her team at the Karolinska Hospital. And what she did is collect cerebral spinal fluid from 25 children with persistent seizures. They were mixed seizure types and diagnoses. Um, this, the samples were taken prior to and about three months after the diet initiation. They were frozen immediately. And she did some initial characterization of different neurotransmitters. Um, but we met at a conference, a ketogenic diet conference actually um, in 2010. And she said, I really think we should test this adenosine hypothesis. So I've been slowly trying to take, whoops, super good care of these samples, figure out what's the best thing to do with them. Um, we've done a metabolic, um, full metabolic analysis with Metabolon, and we're currently going over that data. We're trying to use this data set to essentially figure out a couple of key things. Is there any biomarker that's a predictor of diet efficacy? Um, so that would be important to know. Um, and in her sample, she had a good representation of males versus females and a good representation of a lot of children were very good responders, more than 50% or even more than 90%, but there was also some that weren't such great responders. They had less than a 50% reduction in their seizures. So um, even within this fairly small sample, we have a good kind of distribution of um, clinical response. And we'd like to know, is there a biomarker that might predict that response? Is there a change post-KD that might give us some insight into a mechanism, perhaps like adenosine? So what we've done so far is that we found through this analysis by Metabolon 
that um, key metabolic changes were present in these samples. So basically glucose and the ketones were either up or down as you would expect. Um, the samples are in excellent shape. We also replicated some previous work that Maria did on several um, um, molecules um, showing that we saw validity and reliability with the previous um, work that she did using a completely different technique. Um, so far, in just an initial scan of the data, we haven't really subgrouped it super effectively. We didn't see a significant change in adenosine. Um, so what we're doing now, um, so that's okay, because these children were on the diet for a while. Maybe adenosine isn't necessary for long-term effects of the diet. Um, or maybe it's not present at elevated levels in the cell because presumably if it's doing effects, having effects on DNA methylation, that is um, an intracellular effect. So this is something that we really need to sort out and we're working very actively on. Um, and I'm prepared to have my beautiful hypothesis destroyed by an ugly fact um, you know, under these conditions. And some interesting additional kind of tidbits that we found from this data. So what we decided to do is really sort the data into the children who had absolutely no response to the diet and the children who had 100% reduction in their seizures. And we have five, uh, four or five children in each of those groups. Um, and my rationale for that was, well, you know, how do we really know what the difference is between a 40% seizure reduction or a 70% seizure reduction? We may be just introducing variability into our samples. Let's just go with the most severe cases first and see if there's any hints, and then maybe do a correlation or regression along our seizure um, response and see if we find anything interesting. And one thing that we pulled out, and this is with an unbiased statist statistician, doesn't know anything about my hypotheses, um, we decided just because it's kind of a small subset of the data set to look at xenobiotics. So xenobiotics are um, non-self uh, non molecules that can be found in the samples. They're typically drugs. So a very interesting question is, are children on specific drugs more likely to be responders to the diet or not? Um, and that would be important to know also if you're a clinician. Um, so we thought we'd look at this, and it turns out that the um, children who achieved 100% reduction in their seizures had significantly higher pre-diet levels of caffeine, theobromine, theophylline, and perizanthine, which are all uh, adenosine receptor antagonists. So this was kind of unexpected, interesting finding. And increased levels of these adenosine receptor antagonists would be predicted um, potentially to upregulate adenosine receptors. So we are still investigating this. This is unpublished data, um, but was an unexpected finding that relates to the adenosine system. So um, basically, what I'd like to share as some final thoughts are that adenosine um, is really a broad regulator of neuronal function, possibly short-term and long-term. It's modulated by a number of different um, types of conditions, exercise, injury, circadian changes, caffeine, metabolism, and getting a handle on how to get adenosine levels um, right has a lot of um, promise in terms of a number of clinical conditions, and particularly for promoting um, brain health and homeostasis. So some predictions and implications. If we knew that the ketogenic diet increases adenosine, it might help us to develop the ketogenic diet in a pill. 
if we knew that adenosine is modulated by the ketogenic diet, that gives us additional information on what conditions the ketogenic diet might be helpful for. Um, some of the things that I've worked on, um, a neurodegenerative model of Huntington's disease, and those models actually help the animals to maintain their weight. So um, it seems like um, the effects of the ketogenic diet could almost go in either direction depending on what the underlying pathology is. Um, these are the pain, epilepsy, and autism are the things that I'm working on most actively. Um, and I think that with different clinical conditions, maybe there's a different set of mechanisms that might be key to really resolving um, that condition. So I just want to say come to Banff, um, to the conference. I'm going to talk more about my autism work there. And for the first time, autism is going to be one of the featured topics at the meeting. We have travel fellowships. Um, we haven't advertised that on, your, on the website. We're waiting to finalize funding from NIH, um, but we want to encourage trainees at all levels and stripes to um, attend. Um, so please keep your eyes peeled for that, ketoconnect.org. Um, I think that metabolic therapy is very promising. I don't think it's alternative, it's fundamental. Metabolism is not just housekeeping, and I think that's why it was ignored for so long. It was considered you know, just kind of keeping the cell going, not really critical to its function. And um, when I was looking for Claude Bernard's, Bernard's picture, I saw one of his quotes that, he really, that I really liked, is what we know already that often prevents us from learning. Um, so I'll leave that as a little bit of food for thought. I'll thank my laboratory, um, particularly uh, Masahito Kawamura, who did a lot of the beautiful electrophysiology, Dave Ruskin, um, who I work very closely with in the laboratory, a bevy of students, my funding, and I thank you for your attention. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, so um, it seems counterintuitive. Right. So uh, if you uh, ingest high levels of caffeine, you can upregulate your adenosine receptors. If you have upregulated adenosine receptors, you essentially have a higher adenosine tone on a regular basis. So let's say. Um, Let's say you're someone who might be prone to having seizures, but not in the morning. If you took like a really stiff belt of caffeine every morning, I think you might actually reduce your chance of having seizures at other times during the day. There's some animal research showing that caffeine is, um, reduces seizures, but it's definitely not clinically recommended. Over reaction to the effects, which, you know, it does happen in some biological systems, but at the same time, Right. Uh, people drink coffee for that day. By your mechanisms, you know, you're flipping between adverse and Exactly. You don't want to have a seizure or a brain injury while you have the caffeine on board. You want to have the seizure or the brain injury when you don't have a high caffeine level. What about just, you know, the effects you're imposing beneficial effects on disease processes? Mm -hmm. um, anyone has definitively figured that out. They do think the Parkinson's effect is through the adenosine receptor, though. So. 
metabolic Yeah, I mean, caffeine has a number of different effects, and it might be different in different disorders, just like with the ketogenic diet, the key mechanisms might be different. I was going to ask, I saw that you did metabolon. Yeah. Did you look at TCA cycle intermediates, and were they elevated? We have done some work with ketone supplementation and showed that they're elevated like several fold higher. And also, our adenosine is like two to five fold higher with the ketone ester and I know. I'd like to try the ester and see if that does um, increase adenosine in the CSF, actually, because you checked plasma, correct? Yes. In hippocampus, yep. You found increased adenosine in the hippocampus? Well, maybe I don't have to kill my beautiful hypothesis yet. It's still, it's under, it's on the edge. We'll see. So, yeah, I need to look at, it's a huge data set, as you know. And what I did, essentially, is I got a whole bunch of stuff from Metabolon, and I really felt like I just kind of started with, from scratch with this statistician who's just looking at the whole thing in an unbiased kind of methodological um, journey through the data, so that's taking a bit of time. Um, what was your diet? What was the For the children's samples? Yeah. It was a four to one kind of classic ketogenic diet for all the kids, but you know, it was administered in Sweden a while ago, so that was the ratio that was administered. All right, thank you very much. Coming up next time on the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show, we finish up the 2016 Metabolic Therapeutics Conference lectures with one from Dr. Richard Feynman. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc of Light. <laughs>